This is The Five of My Life with me, Nigel Marsh. The series where I talk to notable people about five of their defining things. The way it works is my guests always choose a favourite film, book, song, place and possession. They tell me their choices in advance so I can research them, but they don't tell me why they've chosen them. That's the subject of our conversation. The reason I devised this series is I wanted to create a slightly different way to gain an insight into the real lives and thoughts of prominent people. Anya Hindmarch founded her eponymous fashion business at the age of 19. Over the next decade, she relentlessly grew it into a prestige brand with over 50 stores globally. Winner of Designer of the Year on seven separate occasions and awarded both an MBE and an OBE for her services to fashion, Anya's products and brand have cult status amongst the fashion conscious around the world. This episode of Five My Life is on location as I caught up with Anya at Fashion HQ in her office in London. So, Anya, uh, the five choices that we're about to discuss, were they the obvious ones that just immediately sprang out at you, or did you agonise about lots of different candidates for each individual one? Well, interestingly, actually, the five choices... um, You can't tell me what they are No, I'm not telling you what they are yet, I promise. Um, They fell out quite quickly, actually, because... um, I don't know, as you get older, you know more about yourself, don't you? I think is the truth. And so um, they were quite they were quite quick to do. Um, and um, as you might know, I did the lovely Desert Island Disc, which was a really lovely honour a few years ago. And uh, and that was harder. And it was interesting, actually, I think having done that and having sort of learnt more about myself, having just passed the 50 mark, um, you you get to know what you're really about. So, um, so no, it was Who was the easy. host on Desert Island Discs? Kirsty, Kirsty Young. Oh, I love her. I know. I just. Know. She's amazing. And, and for me, a bit like having a book that has a classic penguin cover yeah. for no other reason than I feel I would have made it. <laughs> to be on Desert Island Discs, that is a dream. It really that was. Is a it dream. was one of those amazing Did you let yourself down or did you? Um, <laughs> you know, I was nervous, I will be honest, because it's such a huge thing. I think the, the funny thing about that show is that it's such, so widely listened to and, and over, you know, people go back and listen to them again and again. And I think that when you're doing it, um, unlike if you do an interview for, you know, like Vogue magazine or, you know, whatever it might be, you're very spe- it's a very specific audience and you can talk to that audience. And actually when you're doing something like that, you're talking to everyone you've ever known, be it your teachers at school or your, you know, the fashion crowd you do at work. So you, you actually just, it's, it's quite disarming. You have to just be yourself. Um, so, um, but I absolutely love Kirsty, so she's fab, and um, and I love music, so that was nice to talk about that. Um, and I think I hope I didn't let myself down. Of course, there's always things you'll probably rather <laughs> I'm change. Sure you but did. I- did you discuss your five choices with your fella? Uh, or, your, or, your, or your mates or your I mum or your whatever. I did with my husband a bit actually um, and um, and it's funny you, you kind of write a few things down and then you suddenly have 110 choices and you of course only need 8 uh, and then you hone it down you hone it down and actually it's really about what really matters to you as opposed to what you start off with what you kind of slightly think should matter to you and then you work out no that, that's not what matters well what good really on matters. you and, and we're starting with uh, the 10th highest grossing animated film of all time a film that got 99% on Rotten Tomatoes Uh, the children's classic Finding Nemo. Tell me the story behind that. 
well, how sophisticated, hey? <laughs> it's not quite your <laughs> art sort of film. Um, I, uh, it's, I mean, I think it's just because it has a nice memory, really, for me. It's, it's a film that I think it just, it's so brilliantly written because it, it has all the sort of the layers of, of, of humour that appeal to a five-year-old, you know, right up to my husband, 63, so right up to, you know, and beyond to, to anyone. So you can, you can kind of, you can enjoy it as, as, you, as you will and, and, and read into it. And um, it just has a lovely memory. So it's, it's about the only film as a family that we can watch together and all enjoy. And now you've got an absurd amount of kids, haven't you? You've got five. I've got five. Well, I usually say to people, you're a lightweight because I've got four. But, but, <laughs> I'm, but I'm out of my debt. Right? I'm out of my debt. <laughs> I'm a bit of a cheat there, I will be honest, because I married a widower. Um, and ah, so you borrowed some. I borrowed some. Okay. Um, but I've, I've had them since they were one, three and four, so I've kind of very much had them and, um, and loved them very much. Um, and so we have, therefore, three and then uh, we had two more. Um, so um, it's a film that we all love. And, um, and if ever I'm trying to do that Christmas, come on, everyone, we can try and find a film. Um, it's pretty impossible. My husband's like crazy about science fiction. I just only like things that relate to my life now and today. Um, <laughs> you know, the kids want, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So it was, it, we were actually sitting um, uh, a long way away in the Galapagos Islands, um, which was, the, was a really a trip of a lifetime for, for the family. And we were with um, about four other families. So we were, I think, 32 I think we have something like eight adults and and I mean twenty two children or something ridiculous. <laughs> um, and and what's amazing about the Galapagos Islands, you're six hundred miles off Ecuador, um, you have no phone signal, and it's just you and and this landscape that's sort of untouched actually by um by sort of you know today. Um, and we therefore the lovely thing about a bit of boredom is that out of boredom comes creativity and we were playing games and doing stuff and there was just this one lovely night when everyone was very tired because it's sort of an underwater safari basically um, and and we were all sort of holed up and you know in our sort of old tracksuit bottoms and everyone covered in sort of you know blankets and and um, we all put on Finding Nemo and everyone all 32 of us watched it and we just it was just a very lovely lazy moment so oh, yeah, that's brilliant. what it reminds I, me of that I love kids films a bit like um, Toy Story you go, it's got something for everyone. You can watch it as a 63-year-old, but also as a three-year-old. And strangely, you can also watch those sorts of films when they're really well-written. You can watch them again and again. Yeah. So it's not a one-hit wonder. You can actually go back and find more in it. So they are beautifully written. So, so that's why it's special to me. I love it. So we're moving from children's fiction to, I mean, I'm, I'm loath to call it this, but adult self-help. You have chosen a book written <laughs> in alcohol? 1978 <laughs> by Shakti Gawain, if I've pronounced that name, the lady's name correctly, Creative Visualizations. It's a pioneering classic, sold seven million copies. Tell me about it and why you've chosen it. Um, this is a book, and I will confess that I haven't really actually read. Um, it's a book that um, I love the kind of the spark notes of um, it's a book. It's a, well, it's a philosophy ultimately that I I really believe in and share with a great friend of mine, Natalie Massonet, who started um, Netta Porter. who's a brilliant, brilliant woman, um, and she and I sort of bonded over this book because the, the premise ultimately is that um, you know if you believe and and um, creatively visualize what what you would like to happen, so maybe it's a um, a work ambition or it's a a personal ambition or it's um, some. For me, I used to be very 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 scared of public speaking right. and. Um, and so the idea of standing up and and doing that was just it was unthinkable i couldn't just couldn't get through my fear and um someone once taught me that in fact 
if you visualize if you if you imagine you're standing on the podium and you're imagining all the faces looking at you and and you're you're seeing it going well and you actually you visualize what you would like to happen right so you it almost a it takes the fear away because almost it opens all your neural pathways and you actually um you are you've kind of almost done it actually mm-hmm. is the point so you've sort of it, it makes that whole process a lot easier um and so and i think if you apply that to to all sorts of things so maybe you you know you want to um you know achieve something um so recently we've just bought our business back for example and in my my dream during that process what i really wanted to do was there's a picture behind me on the wall which is a, a lovely margaret calvert of, of a, a sign of a, a, a women at work so hmm. the, the road sign of men at work but a women at work one and my absolute thing was i'm going to put that back on my wall and i'm going to take back my business and um and so you know visualizing that actually is much more likely to make it happen so you're sort of concretely actually saying these are my ambitions and therefore you're working very much and very clearly and coherently towards an aim as opposed to sort of slightly kind of following a, a, a windy road. So I do think that if you're quite concrete about saying, I would like to achieve this, hmm. not in a sort of a, you know, silly way, but in a, in a kind of as a, as a nice sort of good, clear, I think it's possible and I want to do it, um, it's much more likely to happen. So that book is about, is about that, um, that premise. And I think uh, it's, it's a good way of thinking, actually, so that makes you very focused on actually what you're trying to achieve. It's interesting with uh, some of those self-help books or in that genre, some of them... A bit like you you needn't feel they're the best book out there, but you can take the message. And some of them, you don't need, like this one, you don't need to read the book to get it. So there's one I read ages ago, and it was like, it's like feel the fear and do it anyway. And you go, got it. I mean, I don't need to read 300 pages of examples. You're probably going to say, feel the fear and do it anyway. That's not a bad thing to do. Uh, that's quite helpful. I, I mean, I so agree. I think, um, I mean, you know, a lot of them are quite cheesy, frankly. And um, and yet I think you always get one thing um, from it. It just helps you. And also it's taking time to stop and think. I think it's part of the process as well. There's a book I read ages ago, which was actually about, um, it's called The One Minute Manager, a very sort yes, of famous yeah. series of books. And it's the idea of delegation. It's talking about the monkey as the, as the task, if you like. And it's about not having the monkey half on your back and half on someone else's back so if you give a task would you be kind enough to do x give it to them fully give them a time frame and leave them with that monkey but don't leave half it on your back so they can't do the job and you can't let go of it. and very simple things like that that really helped me when i was starting the business and um so lots of those things so actually i quite enjoy reading those sorts of books i mean grazing them i will be honest um and i often find because i think i'm sort of exhausted half the time and busy that it's quite difficult to sort of sink into a sort of a novel and somehow i find sort of grazing these books is actually quite a nice way to sort of relax but without giving too much time i find i'm so sort of um uh it's it's hard to to wind down and actually really mm. have the time to sort of get sunk into a good book i do this on a holiday uh, i will move away from self-help you'll be pleased to know on holiday <laughs> <laughs> have you seen that there's a there's a lady i was in texas at the thing called southwest and this woman gave this amazing speech that i was lucky enough to be at but she's written a book and she's done a ted video but it's about it's similar to creative visualization where you know the the the, the body language that a boxer or a sprinter will do if they win the 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 arms in the air and this woman sort of nutty um you go oh if you stand in that victory pose before you're about to do something you know you present to your investors or the board or whatever um and you you know quietly in the loo no one can see you and you stand like you're 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 a when you've just won the olympic gold medal and you do that for as little as 10 seconds and then you walk out in the water you will be more confident now i I do quite a lot of public speaking in my life and blah 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 to sometimes you know seven thousand people or whatever and that can be 
<laughs> mildly petrifying. And so I thought, do you know what? I'm not going to tell anybody, and it's the first time I've ever mentioned it, but I think I'm going to, I'm just going to try that out for a laugh. It's great. It's really well, it works. Yeah. So, 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 yeah, so I'm yeah, going to try yeah. out your, I've actually yeah. ordered it, but it didn't arrive in yeah. time, the creative yeah. visualization. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to, I'll let you know yeah. if it's crap or not. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I think in the same way that with my total fear of public speaking, um, I uh, remember doing something called NLP, which is Neuro Linguistic yes. Programming, because someone's against you, someone who can teach you how to do speeches and blah, blah, blah. Um, anyway, this friend happened to, to be someone who would coach people doing public speaking. I had to do this big speech. But also, actually, his process was this NLP. And, and actually, that was fascinating. And so that's the, the idea of actually your brain. I'm so clever, your brain. You can, um, you can actually just switch off fear. So you might have fear on a number of things. For me, I, I used to really sort of hyperventilate. It became a very physical thing, and it was, it was awkward. And, and they trace it back to, to why. And for me, I actually wanted to, to sing professionally. I, I loved classical music, and, and I had a very bad experience. And so I, I just, it, it really halted me. So it take, they take you back over the experience and they kind of wash it from your brain effectively and then they bring you back. And one thing, and so you can approach anything, I think, if you if you look at things differently. One thing that he taught me, which, which really helped me, was he said, when you're scared, actually being scared is the same emotion as being excited. And so um, approach it from a different point of view. And, and it's good to have that gremlin on your shoulder saying, you're going to screw up, you're going to screw up. But just actually turn the volume down. He's there to protect you. Turn the volume down and actually just like trust yourself a bit more. You know, you've done a few things, it's sort of okay. So there's all sorts of ways to, to, to learn and improve. And so um, whilst they're quite cheesy, I think you grab one thing from, from each, uh, each idea. That's a great link, actually, because you mentioned singing. And you've ch- we're winding forward 32 years for your song. And I'm probably going to pronounce this wrong, but you've chosen Lux Arumque. Yeah, from Eric Whittaker, the American composer, 2010. Uh, and it's a, it's a choral piece, a Christmas piece, based on a Latin poem, Angels Singing to the Newborn Babe. Tell me the story behind that. Well, I absolutely love choral music. Um, right. And that is, um, makes me sound so deeply uncool. <laughs> but actually, I think it's, it's a... It's a um, I think I did a lot of singing um, when I was younger and actually really considered it as a career. So, um, so anyway, I loved choral music. And I, and I still... That's, it's, for me, it's, it's a thing of real beauty, although that close harmony and... And, and and very clever um, you know construction of, of music and um, so um, there's been no time for really for music frankly apart from now as I as the children a little bit older sometimes I will go and it's a bit like almost going to a meditation in a way when you can go and just take some time out and there was a beautiful one, to, one last week to Rachmaninoff Vespers and that's just you know it's so lovely um, and um, Eric Whitaker is someone I discovered through his amazing um, virtual choir it's incredible yeah. I, I mean I, so I've yeah. done lots of research before yeah. meeting you I'm very yeah. pleased to meet you and the 185 different people from 12 different countries send in them singing, warbling on, and he mixes it yeah. into one. Well, when it's live, it's often live. So, so you will have this choir around the world and people, kids in their bedrooms, as well as professional singers, and everyone sings together all their different parts. And it's just a very beautiful thing. I think it's very interesting. Um, we have a, a Christmas carol concert we do here every year, and singing together is a, is a very, I mean, it's incredibly so what, in your firm? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the so, Anya High March yeah, carol yeah, singers? Yeah, choir, yeah. <laughs> um, um, but so the point is, though, that singing, I mean, it's been proven to reduce stress levels. To, I mean, it's, it's, it ticks so many boxes. It's incredibly, it's a very base and important thing. It's a very special thing. And, and even people, when we coach them here, it's like, come on, you know, someone from accounts, go, I'm, sorry, I'm like, just come. By the end of it, the smile on their face, it's really lovely. So, so um, anyway, I love choral music. I think it's a, a special thing. And, um, and I think that um, whilst it hasn't got the coolest image, actually, when we're also going back to thinking about mental health and taking time out, it's, it's a very, it's very nurturing, very beautiful, it sort of feeds me. Um, and we were lucky enough to do this project, um, which was focusing on this, this, what we call the Chubby collection, which is this padded quilted collection we did. And we built the, um, 
to celebrate it for Fashion Week, we built the world's largest beanbag, which sounds a bit mad, which we called the Chubby Cloud. Um, and you were allowed to come onto this enormous, you know, it was huge. I mean, absolutely huge. And we had 150 people on it at a time. And it was a very meditative experience. It was very calm. Um, and people, it was, it's just, you know, first of all, they would jump around and then they just actually lie down. They use um, beanbags actually in psychiatric hospitals to calm people down. Um, and we had Eric, um, and I was lucky enough to have Eric his choir come and sing and wow. looks a rock and it is the most beautiful piece of music um, and once you get a taste for that sort of I think level of, of kind of often clashing and, and complex harmonies it, when you just think about ordinary music you know more sort of popular music it's actually it's just much less rich actually mm. so and so you know also the sort of um, Talis Scholars anything by Taverner I mean it's just you know that's it's really really beautiful so, so are you religious do you do you, do you- do you go to church and then sing there, or, or? no? I'm, I don't go to church. I was at a Catholic convent. I'm not even ah, Catholic, so that's beating that was, out of you. Yeah, well, uh, well, funny enough, it's interesting because I mean, I was a Catholic convent for school, and um, so I had sort of seven years of nuns and and you know and and mass. What was interesting, it was actually more. We used to have sometimes overnight vigils, candlelit vigils, or we'd have at Easter sometimes once in your career at school you would stay and all the music would be specially written, or we would go to. Um, Israel to Bethlehem to Jerusalem and actually sing uh, and have mass with beautifully special written music there you know and there's incredible sites it's so historic so actually music and, and religion fun enough to, the, to that thing where you know we all have a, an emotional side we all have a spiritual side whether it's religion per se but some sort of spiritual thing is, is very special um, so do I have that absolutely do I go to church every Sunday not at all do I sing in church no but do I get an absolute kick out of sing, sitting in a beautiful dark church with lots of candles with beautiful music and actually taking that moment absolutely and if I had mm. more time I would um, so um, so that sort of music for me is, is very very beautiful and um, and singing and having this this choir was was really exceptional it was really a special experience actually So we're, we're going to move from America, if we're if we, going off Eric, uh, and we're going to Morocco. Now, I've been Google imaging this place, Lala Tukahoust, um, a godforsaken small little place of 3,000 people just south of Marrakesh, uh, but beautiful. I can see uh, from, from pinging around on the internet, a lake, a dam, the Atlas map, Mountains in the background. Uh, what's going on there? Why have you chosen that? Um, well, it's um, it's a place that you know you find places that just for whatever reason sort of just you, you get there and you're like, yep, I'm me here. And hey, well, um, you in a spa resort or just backpacking well, so or what are you doing? Um, I mean, I, I've been to Marrakesh. I think was since I was about six. And I remember when I first went with my parents and how incredibly foreign it feels. Right. I mean, it's as close to a really different world. Um, as you can get, I think, three hours from London. Um, a different climate, the sound of the birds, the bright blue skies, um, the mountains. The, it's, a, it's a cold country with hot sun. Um, it's a very, really sort of special place. And um, I loved it. I remember going, you know, I had very fair blonde hair when I was a child and there were water sellers and men selling oranges that had leaves still on them and things that you just didn't sort of have in London, all those tiny things. And, and people were sort of fascinated by me, so they kept sort of touching my hair and it was, it was frightening. It was kind of exciting and frightening. Um, so I've always loved that culture and that um, sort of richness. And 
I've started sort of going back quite a bit. Um, it's a lovely to, to the state. same town. Well, so Marrakesh is, you know, obviously incredibly special. And then outside of Marrakesh, you have this, these wonderful Atlas Mountains. And I think there's something about the clarity of the air um, and the light around the mountains. Um, so um, we sort of often go, or often go a few times a year, we'll go to for a long weekend, which you can do. Uh, husband and, and kids, or just husband? Yeah, yeah. Sometimes just the two of us. Actually, it's quite nice. Sometimes also with the kids. And we were, we actually decided to have my husband's um, 60th birthday um, there, and we took a, a very few a very small group of, of just a few families actually but just had the most lovely weekend um, and it's a place where it's it's definitely Moroccan it's not um, you know as long as you go to France and they're trying to sort of do sushi one minute and something the next year. it's Moroccan food it's Moroccan through and through we arrive on the, the Friday night um, they put on the hammam you're scrubbed you are um you're scrubbed, you're, you know, lying in this amazing hammam, steamed. They wash you like a child, they wash your hair. You then have dinner in front of the fire where you have a lovely tagine and you're sitting there all wrapped up because it's cold. In the morning you go for a hike in these incredible mountains and it's hot, hot, hot. Um, and have lunch outside with that delicious handmade bread. And, and, um, and it's, just, it's just sort of really sounds, lovely. It's sounds very gorgeous. Un- sort of fancy it's very un uh, fashion which is what i love when i'm off um and you know you go back and um and you just i don't know that lovely delicious fresh orange juice and the call to prayer I mean, it's very it's very exotic actually do, do you travel with your own handbags yes of course right okay <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's unfashioned but you've got a piece of fashion well yes but i'm lucky enough i can design things that i want and need and for me fashion i'm not i'm not a frilly fashion person i mean i love fashion only for the end game, which is that you feel good. Yep. So fashion for me is, is, is about confidence. It's about putting on things that you wear. And when you are wearing them, you then don't think about what you're wearing. You are the best of you, if you like. Yeah. Owning um, the front cover. Exactly. And, and it's just that you then forget about it and you just smile with your eyes. And so, um, so I am lucky enough that I can make things that work for me and, and, um, and sort of, you know, feel lovely and beautifully made because I'm fascinated by craftsmanship as my real passion. And, um, and so, so I do absolutely. But I think when I'm off, I also like to be off. You know, you want to kind of go and I can, I can be very happy in my, my, um, my lovely jalaba and my sort of, you know, my nice sloppy handbag and, and I'm off duty, which is nice. Yeah. So I'm, uh, probably the least fashionable person you will ever meet. <laughs> but I, I do like good craftsmanship and things well made. But I've got a, a yearning for things that justify them being y- sort of expensive and special, and that is functionality. Mm. So I love a you know a really expensive watch, and I go yeah, but I can also tell the time. So I like the handbags. Got what, what, what's got to do with me? I don't use handbags, but I like the fact if it's a really you know expensive, beautiful handbag, and people rave about your brand and you and your products, is yeah, but you can also put things in it and carry it if it was just i, I mean i don't know uh, a brooch you go yeah, it's, well it's just it just looks nice nothing wrong with that but for me i need the justification of you can put it over your shoulder it's got my passport in so it's serving a function as well as being sensational well i think the studio i'm fascinated by i mean for me um you know the word luxury is just means nothing anymore and and for me luxury is is so much about the craft how things are made and the functionality and the reason i think we all love our phone is they're fantastically functional they are our, you know they are our phone they are our camera they are our you know photo albums they are our diaries and it's so efficient so you are the world's best intuitive link merchant because that is the link to your possession you have chosen (laughs) your phone so let's go there so (laughs) So obviously these are real choices (laughs) so so tell me why you have chosen your phone well so to the point that you know it's it's i think efficiency is luxury you know the fact that i don't have to carry all those things i spoke about separately and lug them around and you know so it's an effort so it's a real 
not luxury to have things that are really efficient. So I think that's very lovely. I mean, I also think luxury for me is about stories. Yeah. So, you know, whilst the phone is super efficient, that's, and it has my lovely stories in it, my photographs and all my diary and all the things that make up me. Um, I also love the idea of something that um, might be a beautiful leather wallet or, or journal that has a handwritten message in from my husband in Boston to the leather that mm. I can always say, I was given this on this birthday because I was going traveling. And, you know, so I think stories are also what luxury is about. So there's various different levels of things that interest me. Um, but no, you're right, to my possession. Sorry, that was really neat and unplanned, <laughs> just to say. Um, I, um, was it, was I it an easy one for you to choose or did you... Well, I mean, if we're honest, it's the one thing you'd kind of, you know, would you not grab it? Yes, it's got all your photos in, it's got, you know, it's your life, you know, it's your, I was, as my phone goes off, it's like, that's my child calling, you know, it's the, the noise of, you know, it's, I, you hear your own phone ring, don't you? I've just come from a lunch, but the reason why I'm wearing a tie, which I haven't worn for four years, this is from a charity shop, um, <laughs> is I'm meeting a friend of my wife in his club. Yeah. And I had to, had to have a tie, so I've got to nip into Oxfam and buy a tie. Um, but also, you can't use your phone. So we've just had lunch sitting around, you know, dear old friends. And what I've realised, it's not about checking work texts. I couldn't care less, right? But I pepper my conversation with, have you been to wherever? And then I'll get my phone out and show you a picture. How's your kids doing? And, and you think, wow. So that a prop. And, and this nice friend, JJ, said, you've got to use your imagination. Well, we're, we're going to Grayson Perry's house this weekend. Oh, the, the house for yeah. Essex. Yeah, and, yeah, and, and But I would show a picture of it to you. Yes, totally. But, but I can't because I you're not allowed yeah, picture in the crowd. Um, <laughs> yeah, but it's right. For me, the same conversation last night, actually, someone was talking and he, he, was a, he was an architect and he was talking and showing the person next to him said, no, no, talk, don't show. Yes. Me. And it's a real discipline and it's hard. And in some ways, I think it's, it's a shame because I think that it's much richer for all the conversation. And, and it, when we didn't have phones with pictures on, we would have probably had a little brag book of pictures in our in our notebook or you know so so you would have probably had that anyway but um i think though it is obviously it's a real luxury for that reason of it being wildly efficient i i'm obsessed by photographs um just because it's so lovely to record your not your life and your kids and so on but also interesting things you see i find it a very um, rich source of inspiration so um one of the things i did fairly recently which was quite a luxury i think is i actually scanned every one of the photographs because i had drawers and drawers and drawers and drawers of photographs you know from way back from since I was born and I put the whole lot so I had literally a room full of boxes of photographs and someone came and picked them up and scanned the whole thing and brought back one tiny tiny little USB drive um, which now contains all my photographs so now every single one of my photographs is scanned in on my iPad I can go right back to there I was born which is amazing I can search I can you know take a face and search through the years Um, and that's a real luxury you can sit on a plane you have every single one of your photographs ever taken Um, and then I burnt them all. Isn't that really terrifying that I had to do this? I thought, what's the point of, if I've got them? If I take a photograph you, today... Oh, you burnt the hard copies? Yeah. Uh, or in a sort of ceremonial witch ceremony? It's a hard moment because, in fact, if I take a photograph today and it's on my phone... I don't have a hard copy. I don't need a hard copy, right? It's there. It's backed up. I have a very efficient system. So the photographs that were just cheap, kind of, you know, drugstore kind of printing ones, I don't need to keep them. I've now got them logged and safe. So that was easy. I could burn all those. If there was anything nice, I kept like a beautifully hand-printed photograph. But anyway, big moment to do all of that. And that was a real luxury, actually, because it means I have absolute access to my photographs. I can sit on a plane and, and call off any... And the kids borrow my, my iPad and sit and just go through and then laugh. Where do you stand on silver frames? The silver frame on your grand piano with you and your husband at <laughs> your wedding or whatever. I think it's really nice to have photographs out. I mean, not so many that it's sort of, you know, drowning, but I think it's lovely to be surrounded by photographs. And that, that it's, it's a thing that it definitely improves your your mood and memories you know they, they have an effect on you i think it's a really nice thing um although of course if they're there all the time you don't notice them so it's quite nice to, to and with five well. kids this is i mean definitely true true of us is you know we've got oodles of pictures of alex our oldest and 
not so <laughs> many of our classic, fourth. Classic. Um, now, tell me, you mentioned uh, earlier taking back your business. Mm. So rookie error, did you sell it to someone who didn't give a toss and edged you out or was it just a naturally run its course? Or uh, No, I mean, we, we sold a bit of it um, and 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 with really nice people, had a very nice relationship, there was no issues there, but I actually I missed I missed the sort of owning of it and um, and so we bought it back about about four weeks ago. Congratulations. Um, with, a, with a new partner and um, it's really exciting actually. Yeah. And so um, I had sort of sold a bit of it thinking I wanted to perhaps go down to three days. I mean, I've worked since I was 18 and, and have a very busy home life and so on and thought that I would want to um, take a bit more time and you so on. You don't want... I've only met of, you for half an hour. You don't want <laughs> to do really what like I do, which is... Children, <laughs> no, 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 you don't want to relax. Do you want to keep working, which <laughs> is fine. Fun. You know what? There's, there's a journey to go on. And actually, I like leading my people myself. And, yeah. and I, I sort of miss that role a bit. So, so yeah, no, really exciting and um, busy because I was... I, I originally, obviously, when I grew the business from, from nothing, so um, sort of grew all those departments. But I finally was doing both the sort of CEO role and the creative role. And I thought I should pick one because it was you know getting mm. too much and um so I picked the creative, even though I was kind of keen on both, um, thinking that was the more difficult one to sort of recruit and brought in a CEO. Uh, and I've gone back to doing both. So it's sort of hard because you're sort of sucking up all the kind of distribution and supply chains and warehousing and agreements and God knows what to sort of manage. But actually, you know what, it's, it's, really, it's really lovely. I'm really happy. Actually. So is in my, I've got a variety of different hats, but in my sort of conventional business hat, I've mm. talked to lots of CEOs. Um, and there are certain types of people which I completely empathise with where you don't want to be reporting to anyone. You've got your bloody name on the bag. You need to be in total control. It doesn't mean you don't hire lots and lots and lots of very, very, very senior people, but when push comes to shove you're the boss of them. I think I am a bit of a control freak, I will admit. And, and my husband would call me bossy, although I think it's very important to rename that word bossy for women to being leadership ah, skills, yes. by the way. Yes, yes, um, yes. Uh, does everyone... I, I once said to my wife's <laughs> having a nana nap. Like, Power nap! <laughs> yeah, exactly, now, I'm going um, to ask you yeah. the last question, yeah. the last trick question, yeah. um, which is, who would you like to hear on Five of My Life next? And I can get anybody. They, they can't be dead okay, and they shame. can't be fictional. Okay. Um, but So who would you like me to interview? next oh, um it's so many people be really interesting i mean there's a i don't know if you know christian amanpour who's really the fascinating reporter? yes, yes. And she's cnn and who was a, a war correspondent is amazing and she's fascinating she's a very dear friend of mine actually and she is fascinating you'll love her um gosh there's so many people who would i like to hear um let's stick with christian okay so I mean, christian would be pretty cool i'll be giving yeah. a ring this afternoon okay you, you should interview kirsty young <laughs> oh god, I'd love to. You know, it's, it's been a real pleasure. I've really, really enjoyed hearing you um, talk, and thank you for being so generous and authentic and open. Well, thank you very much. I've thoroughly enjoyed it too. It's very nice to Wonderful. meet you. The Five of My Life was presented by me, Nigel Marsh. Producer, Alex Mitchell. Sound production and theme music by Darcy Thompson and Matt Nicholish. Listener.